Hey, Pubcasters, welcome back to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. We're still early in our new season, and we're so glad you're along for the ride. Today, we chat with my buddy, Brandon Purdue, the SVP of Riser House Entertainment, and we talk about the artist culture and the ins and outs of his daily job. Hey, hey, welcome back, Pubcaster, to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. I am real excited today to be sitting with my friend, Brandon Purdue. He is the now Senior Vice President A&R and Publishing of Riser House. Is it Riser House Records or just Riser House? I should have this right. <laughs> uh, Riser House Entertainment, and that includes the record side and the publishing side. Yeah. All right, Riser House Entertainment. I'll be sure to get that right as we have our conversation. <laughs> but uh, welcome aboard, Brandon. Thank you for your time. And um, man, let's just start this off real quick. Like, tell me how you got to this point in your career. Oh, uh, I'd say like most of us on Music Row graduated from Belmont um 2006 and was working uh pretty much right out of school for uh, blake chancy at rpm music group uh, blake had just come off a stint as anr at sony where he was working with like montgomery gentry um dixie chicks uh when i started working with him he had just picked up the kelly pickler record off of american idol so i got kind of this like really cool immersion in production and publishing because uh, blake you know i was his production assistant and also assistant engineer on a lot of stuff he was working on with uh kelly and montgomery gentry uh but when we weren't in production i was working at his publishing company which uh rpm which he owned with scott simon who managed at the time and is managing again uh tim mcgraw did that for about four years, independent engineering and production for about probably another four or five years and uh, wound back up in publishing at an upstart called Catch This Music. I want to say that was like maybe 2016 um, and was there for probably four or five years. And that was really fun, like kind of getting uh, back into the country community. The company folded unexpectedly, but when we folded, we had a really cool crew, like uh, me and Chris Poole were running the creative team. Chris is now A&R over at Broken Bow. Uh, we had writers like Jimmy Bell, who just had his first number one with uh, Last Night Lonely. Um, Tranny Anderson is one of my favorites here in town. We gave her her first publishing deal. Uh, Farron Rachels, we had her at the time. We worked with Marcus Humman, who was legendary writer in this town. When catch this music folded unexpectedly we uh happened to be right next door to riser house and i was i think in the back parking lot just frantically making calls to anyone and everyone putting out the bat signal like hey looking for a job if you know anyone and my now boss jennifer johnson who i knew because uh up until right about that time which was when riser house was just kind of getting off the ground she also had run a company called the song factory so we had done some work together on the publishing end just struck up a conversation with her cut her up that i was about to be looking for a job and it just so happened that at riser house there was a position opening up because um a colleague of mine Kristen ashley who was running publishing in a r at riser house was leaving to manage mitchell tenpenny full-time so the timing actually just worked out that 
within a couple of months, I came on board at Riser House. Um, initially, just to do publishing, but it just kind of naturally over probably my first year here turned into also doing A&R on the label side. And I've been here for, I'd say, just shy of five years now. I'm sure you didn't go into this thinking, like you said, you, you had kind of an idea of what all this was and you had this assumption like, you know, A&R publishing is all the same. It's creative, but it's really two very different roles. And hearing you talk about this, because both you and I, we work independently. We work for smaller companies. Your whole career has been small companies. And again, when you do that, you're going to be hands on a lot of different areas, which is awesome because you actually learn the roots of everything. You know, all the gears, all the levers of what publishing is. You're not just pitching songs, not just building calendars, not just in the studio, twisting knobs. You're doing all of it. So how do you manage to find time to get into your creative space and then switch hats into business land, whether you're looking through a deal or you're going to a budget meeting? Do you do you try to like set some time aside and go, okay, I'm going to really block this out? Like really walk me through your workflow and how you try to stay creative as well as manage your business side. Uh, that's assuming a lot that I actually have a workflow. A lot of times I'm just dealing with whichever fire is burning the hottest. I do think like as I'm listening through, like getting heavy into listening through songs for Dylan, Dylan's a great example of me having to wear both hats and knowing like at which point am i the publisher at which point am i the anr because we're filling out his calendar i'm i'm hoping that he's going to write a good chunk of his album uh, as his publisher i'm hoping that he's going to write his singles as his publisher uh but then i have to then go to a and r mode and realize that the best thing for the entire ecosystem that Dylan touches is for him to have a hit, whether he wrote it or not. And so I'm listening through pitches and putting like, you know, I might have a folder of 30 outside songs that I love for Dylan and 30 songs that he's written that I love and having to detach from the publishing end of things and just, you know, try to literally just pick which is going to be the one that makes him stand out, which is going to be the one that has like a bigger impact for him and not look at like who's writing it. Along that line of thinking, what is some advice that you would give to uh, anybody coming into the business that would help them prepare for a role like either a or public? I know you do both, but like, what is some advice you would give to like, here's what you need to really learn and pay attention to that you may not think about? Maybe the two biggest things. I mean, you know, I'm as a I'm constantly going to publishers asking for songs. But also like your relationship with the creators spent this morning texting as many songwriters as I think might have hits for Dylan. Um, just directly texting them, even if their publishers are sending me songs, because they're both going to send me separate songs from the same person. And I want to hear as much as I can. Yeah, being as close to the creators as possible. And then I think also, you know, as an A&R, I get paid to have an opinion on songs. Like uh, I'm presenting songs to producers and artists that I feel good about. But I also have to detach my emotion. And I, I think that's made me a better um, plugger as well of like, rather than I love this song, more like, is this song going to serve you or your artist? You know, just learning how to stand confident in your own opinion, but largely we're all trying to serve other people, the audience, the artists, not necessarily ourselves and our egos. 
what is it that it, that makes you attracted to a song makes you think man that's a hit i gotta have that i'll be honest i think um i'm kind of basic in that i'm drawn to melody first and i think most casual listeners are you know like if if you're doing yard work or something around the house and you have like a playlist playing in the background either production or melody is going to be the first thing that makes you kind of like hey what's that you know for me melody is probably the first thing that will grab me um it needs to be captivating it needs to be fresh sounding even if like for someone like dylan for example you know there's a a throwback uh feel to what he does it needs to like be throwback without feeling old so how can it be that and fresh at the same time uh but then after that like obviously the lyric has to stand up so on second third listen that's really when i'm done and like okay this feels great check check that box but like does what they're saying matter even if it's kind of silly or stupid like there's one song in a in um the folder that I'm gonna take to John and Dylan that's incredibly dumb, but like they did that on purpose. You know, I think Red Solo Cup might be a perfect example of that. Like they knew what they were doing that day, but it's still so well written. And it's a song that even with a room full of like cool industry people, like you start playing that song, everyone's gonna sing along and smile. That was my key. It's always I call them clever because if it, if it's got a unique hook that makes you smile and they wrote the crap out of it, it's clever. Then I'm in because we all know our up tempo songs sometimes can get a little light, but right. you know I think we have a tendency to overthink it because you know you watch those go over live and you're like, wow, they love it. I think we are going to overthink it. We hear the same concepts written five different ways every week. You know, of course we're going to overthink it. I think that's why it's important for all of us like to go out to shows whenever possible, go to festivals and see how people are reacting to stuff. Yeah. Well, that and I mean, you see it on pitch sheets. I see it all the time. Like everyone is looking for tempo, you know, um, it's the one thing people don't like to write for some reason. And then you finally, you finally get like a well-written tempo. Like Nate Smith just had that smash with uh, Whiskey and You. Like it's tempo and it's well-written, you know, and like, then you've really got something. So now switching from songs to talent, uh, putting on your A&R hat, what is it you see in talent? What, what, what is it that you're looking for when you go see or hear an act? I mean, obviously, I would prefer to work with someone that can write, um, but I also like someone that's open to outside songs as well. Uh, you know, there are artists here in town that are going to write every single song they put out. Hardy, Ernest, they're good examples. I would be surprised if Mitchell that I work with uh, cuts an outside song, but he, he's open to it if one like really stands out to him and he feels like he wouldn't write that topic yeah someone that's a great writer um a compelling vocal doesn't have to be necessarily a quote-unquote great vocal but just something compelling i mean i think there's a lot of artists right now that are standing out because their vocal delivery is different and at least good enough but and then there's always that like something special about them that might be their presence when they walk in the room and they're just electric and everyone's drawn to them uh it might 
be their vocal on the stage. Um, but just something that you feel like this is, this person is more than just a performer. They're more than just a writer, but they're like, there's a brand here. There's a, a Chris pool that uh, we're good buddies. We obviously used to work together. He's big on like, what's the culture around this artist. And I, I look at that as well. Like if there's already one established, like for example, the guys come out of Texas, like a co Wetzel or Colby Cooper, you know, there's a culture around the music with those guys. There's a culture around Bailey Zimmerman. Uh, he's in that truck world. If there's not one, you can at least picture it, like what it would be. Who who does this person appeal to beyond just like a song or a group of songs, but like, you know, the music as a, a jumping point to for people to further attach themselves to the artists uh, on a larger scale. So when you say culture, are you thinking more like speaking of like lifestyle, like this person has a particular lifestyle and a, and a, around them uh if you could dig a little deeper on that for me because that's interesting i've not heard it said that way i think so i mean i think it manifests itself in a lot of different ways hardy's a good example right now like there is an attitude to what he is doing that people are latching onto, and he's like him being so country but so rock at the same time speaks to so many people that grew up listening to both of those and it's really unique that I mean, there are artists, I, I've mentioned Co Wetzel a few times probably, but he's another one that like, he's considered red dirt, Texas country, but like, they're very like kind of nineties alt rock leaning. And there's a culture of people that listen to both sets of that music. So like combining that, you know, I think Hardy doing the hard rock and country, hard rock sound and country lyric on the same project is something someone hasn't done before. And then there's obviously like a large group of people gravitating towards it. Yeah. That was interesting. I was, I had a, a friend over the house, Julian Baker. She's a indie uh, female artist, more in the alt uh, scene. And she plays with Phoebe Bridgers and a uh, uh, boy genius. She's one of the three girls in that act, but she, She's over for dinner the other day and she goes, This Hardy record, man. I'm really into it. Woke up. She started singing uh truck bed, woke up on the wrong side of the and this is a person she's like, and she's like a vegetarian, all about ethical products. She goes, I've never heard more about shooting stuff and skin and <laughs> stuff, but I'm I'm really attracted to it. Right. Did you play her uh what is it kill shit till I die? <laughs> oh, she knew the whole okay, record, good. dude. I was stunned. She was like, she brought it up and we're like, how are you even listening? Because I just like music and I just thought that was really cool. I like, but it speaks to culture. She's like, he's speaking about things I know nothing about, but I'm in, I'm, I'm really in, interested in hearing what he has to say, which is really powerful. I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. And I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff in our genre of, um, as like country radio is still immensely important, but it's not the, the only way for artists to reach fans anymore so like you know i think the streaming models social media have allowed people to kind of like whether it's hip-hop and country or rock and country or whatever um reach people that listen to multiple genres and combine them in different ways that we haven't seen before that's a perfect segue to my next question i was i was trying to prep this one up in my head on how to introduce it but what shifts have you seen and how do you guys at riser house being an indie 
uh, how have you adjusted and shift to those shifts? Because I know a lot's changed since you started there even. So what kind of things have you seen and how you guys shifted and pivoted to those new models? I think it's just what we were just talking about makes it more exciting and liberating to be in the position I'm in. Like maybe three years ago, I might have come across, I, I remember a couple artists that I was very excited about and remember either thinking to myself or having internal conversations about they're great, but how could we serve them? And now uh, I think you always have to ask that question, but now the answer is a bit more evident of like, well, even if this isn't a quote unquote country radio project, or it's not that yet, maybe it could become that, or maybe there will be a song that could be that there's still plenty of avenues for this artist. And we're excited about what they do. We think there either is or could be a culture built around what they're doing. Let's see if we can figure this out. That's fantastic. So what inspires you, man? What keeps you inspired and keeps the creative juices flowing and, and for you personally? Lately, I think it's been, well, seeing the people that you're fighting for every day win. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, but also seeing everyone that I'm working with having success in very different paths. And also, they've all kind of fought for it the past few years. Um, Michael Whitworth, one of our writers, is a great example. When I started working with him almost five years ago, he was like the last uh, guy in his friend group that was signed. As part of that, like we had to kind of find a new circle for him because all of his friends had gone on and were already having hits uh, or major cuts by the time he got signed. So he wasn't automatically getting in with them when he was a new writer, a newly signed writer. So going and finding this new circle for him, having a few radio singles, that's exciting. And then those singles fizzle out early. That, you know, like you've worked with writers that have had that too. Oh, that can yeah. really suck the life out of them. And you know, when you have that like two or three times, you know, it can take you a minute to like, all right, let's regroup here. Let's refocus. What do we chasing what do we need to adjust do we need to just keep doing what we're doing and it will work out or do we need to chase some different things and um i think covid was actually kind of a great moment for him because everyone had to get creative and start you know kind of really honing in with whoever was willing to work at the time and he got in uh, with a guy that he's now doing a ton of great work with who is new to town, uh, Andrew Bayless, a producer, writer. Uh, and they started working together on some Jelly Roll stuff. And um, now they've had a few singles at Rock Radio. Uh, this week, they're writing with Co Wetzel. And they've got, like, uh, you and I just uh, shared a cut with them this week uh, on another uh, exciting new, like, rock country artists yeah seeing michael like kind of branch out and find his own lane that's been inspiring seeing dallas wilson kind of fight through the perception that he was signed to riser house just because he was friends with mitchell tenpenny to like he's you know fingers crossed about to have his second number one um on a massive song with laney wilson and uh just seeing him like continue to win and Proof to people that like he earned his deal. Let's see. Seeing Mitchell, uh, a good example. Uh, obviously, he flew up the chart on that first single with Drunk Me. 
and then had a few failed singles. And as his publisher saw a lot of the town, maybe doubt if he was worth their time. And then, you know, last year he had two number ones at radio that he was a writer on both of them as well. And his current ones moving really well as fast, moving really fast as well. So yeah, just seeing like all of these guys go through some adversity and, and win. Dylan Carmichael, another one, like finally has a top 30, which he happened to write. I mean, this is Dylan's fourth single and he's kept fighting. Our team has kept fighting for him. You know, there were talks last August about pulling the single in the high forties. Rather than that, we doubled down and we're not exactly sure how far it's going to get, but it's already a win to get him to this point. Dude, I get that, man. There's nothing better than watching something you believe in start achieving success. And kudos on on all that you just mentioned. I've really been watching Dallas. I've known him because I knew his dad very well, uh, Lonnie, and watching Dallas just find his way. It's been been inspiring on this end too, man. So congrats on that. Yeah, so I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's like just watching these guys all have their wins. I mean, that's why we do what we do. Because this job... It's kind of thankless a lot of a lot of days. Um, but when you like find your crew and kind of hunker down with them and you start to see them win, that's you can live off that for a good while. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is hosted by yours truly, Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. And this has been a Dime Collective production. 